Hello, I'm Lisa McCoy, and welcome to It's Not Always Special, a podcast about the special needs child and for people who don't know anyone with special needs. Because when we know better, we do better. And I truly feel that as a society, we aren't doing very well when it comes to interacting with and taking care of people with special needs. I'm the mom of a 28-year-old daughter with Down syndrome and autism. She has a twin brother and a younger sister. In this podcast, we'll talk to siblings of those with special needs, learn about new technologies and treatments, investigate best places to live if you have a child with special needs, and open up about marriages that don't survive having a child with challenges. We'll tackle anything else that comes down our path. I hope you'll listen in, hit subscribe, and most importantly, please share us with a friend. We'll be back with today's episode right after this. So welcome to my first episode of It's Not Always Special. I'm excited to be able to share a little bit about our daughter Kelsey and my family, our family, in this first installment, the first of what I hope is many. Um, You might also hear me quote Brene Brown sometimes, uh, maybe a lot. I've learned a lot from her. Uh, She's a professor, an author, a lecturer in general. She's amazing. Um, And like I said, she's taught me a lot. One of the things that she has taught me is um, something important about the meaning of empathy. She says, empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. So what is the definition of empathy? Empathy is the ability to emotionally understand what other people feel, see things from their point of view, and imagine yourself in their place. Essentially, it's putting yourself in someone else's position and feeling what they must be feeling. So again, empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. It's the ability to emotionally understand what other people feel and see things from their point of view. Imagine yourself in their place. So that's one of the main objectives of this podcast is trying to get people to empathize, not sympathize, empathize with what it is to have a child with special needs. And so that's why I want people who don't have a child with special needs or don't have know anybody with somebody, you know, who has special needs. I want you to understand what we go through in a day. And I want that because I want people with special needs to become more of a part of our society. In future episodes, I will be talking with people who either know people or have children who are older, much older than our Kelsey, who is going to be 28. Um, And as much as things change is as much as they stay the same. These kids are in their 50s. Uh, You'll hear about families who were there in in 1953 who have kids in their 70s. Their worries, their concerns, their issues are all the same as mine were, as mine are. And they struggle They struggled then, as I struggle now, with finding a place for Kelsey, with wanting her to belong, um, with feeling left out, out of place, 
whether or not those are rational feelings. They're my feelings. There are feelings. And um, so this podcast uh, is designed to help you empathize and understand where we are, where I am coming from, where other parents are coming from. So as I said in my introduction, um, we'll be talking about a lot of different topics. I encourage you to reach out if you'd like to be a part of this podcast and talk with our listeners. I certainly welcome you. So let me go back to the beginning. That's what I'd like to talk about in my first episode here. I want to give you a background of um, the day Kelsey was born and how I started on this journey. So let me start by saying I always wanted to be a mom. Um, there was never a day in my life that I didn't want to choose that path of motherhood. So I always wanted to be a mom. So when we found out we were having twins, and Kelsey is a twin, uh, she has a twin brother. He is a physical therapist uh, living in Boston, and she has a uh, younger sister who's a registered nurse living in Pennsylvania. So anyway, when we found out we were having twins uh, at our four-month ultrasound, uh, my husband Scott and I were absolutely over the moon. We were ecstatic. Couldn't be happier. Um, we were thrilled. And um, I will tell you that we chose not to have any prenatal testing done to determine whether or not there were any genetic abnormalities. And we went that path because, one, the alpha-fetoprotein test, the AFP test, had a very high incidence of a false negative. So if that was, uh, if it came back positive, excuse me, false positive, I meant to say false positive, if it came back positive, um, we would have had to endure other testing, which meant a second, uh, you had to have a uh, amniocentesis. So we would have had to have an amnio on each of the um, babies in, in each of those sacs. And so that would increase the chances for um, um, spontaneous abortion and just didn't want to go down that path. Our philosophy was we enjoy the pregnancy Whatever comes our way, we'll deal with it when the time comes. So uh, we did enjoy the pregnancy. It was a great pregnancy. There were no complications. I was a very happy pregnant mom. Uh, gained a lot of weight and enjoyed every minute of it. It was I was healthy. I had I had no issues, and it was a great time. So um, the day Kelsey was born, it was very early in the morning. My husband uh, is a police officer. Was a police officer in New York. And um, we went to the hospital. I called him. He was out on jury duty with a, uh, w- waiting for a verdict. And I called him home. And uh, no, actually, I think at that point he might have been home. It was four in the morning. And I woke him up. I wasn't sure um, if I was having cramps from the eggplant the night before or if I was truly in labor. And it turns out I was in labor. Um, he was a nervous wreck, and he was running around trying to find the right pair of pants to wear, something that he could sit down and the change wouldn't fall out of his pockets. Believe it or not, that was his big worry at the time, if only he knew. So we went to the hospital, and um, they did an x-ray, and they said, oh my gosh, the babies are in the birth canal. You've got to move fast. They're coming. They're coming. That was at six in the morning when that happened, and long story short, they arrived by C-section at 6.30 in the evening. Um, I was exhausted. It was a long day. And 
when they were born, it was a quick flash, here they are. When they brought Kelsey to my bedside, I couldn't hold them. They didn't let me hold them. It was just, um, here they are. And I remember when they brought Kelsey to me, looking at her and knowing immediately that she had Down syndrome. And I kept looking and I was hoping, I was trying to reach out and touch her and move the blanket so I could see her feet because I knew that children with Down syndrome had that big gap between their big toe and the other four. And I kept trying to look for that gap between the toes and I was looking, but I knew, I knew immediately that she had Down syndrome. And, um, I didn't say anything and my mom was there. My sister was there. My sister was also pregnant for her third child and she was scheduled to be induced the next day. Both sets of grandparents were there. My, uh, my mom and dad, my husband's parents were there and it was just a long, busy day. So a lot of people knew about Kelsey. Nobody said anything to anybody else, which was fine. It was just a long, exhausting day. So uh, went to bed, tried to get some sleep. And then the next morning, the nurse was helping me to get cleaned up and in the shower and moving around. And we did not have a pediatrician. Uh, well, we had chosen a pediatrician, but um, there was, he was not, he did not have privileges at the hospital. So, uh, the pediatrician on call turned out to be my childhood pediatrician, Dr. Thomas Weil, who has since passed away. So he was my childhood pediatrician and he came in that morning and, um, I was alone in the room with the nurse, um, who I knew cause this was a small town we were in. It was a nurse that I knew and, um, he had to break the news to me that uh, my daughter had Down syndrome. And he started to cry. So imagine a grown man, doctor, my pediatrician, and he's telling me and he's crying. And I'm consoling him because I'm telling him, it's okay. I know, I already know. I already knew, I could tell. And it's okay. It's going to be okay. So I'm consoling him as he's crying, telling me and telling him it's going to be okay. So um, he leaves and I tell the nurse, you need to call my mom. And she said, well, your mom must have known because she said, if Lisa needs anything today, call me. So she, my mom's a teacher and she was back at school. And of course she dropped everything and came. And then I called my husband who was also at work. <clears throat> no, excuse me. He was home. He had not gotten back to the hospital that day. He was home and I called him and I said, you need to come to the hospital. You just, you, I just need you to come here. I couldn't get any other words out, I guess. <clears throat> I said, you just need to come. And the poor guy, when he came later, he came to my bedside, hugged me and burst into tears. The babies weren't in the room and he knew something was wrong with Kelsey, but he didn't know what. And he thought she had died. He thought something 
terrible had happened. He thought she had died. So I told him um, what happened, uh, that she had Down syndrome, and I told him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I had a cousin with Down syndrome who was uh, a few years younger than I was, so I grew up around Down syndrome. It wasn't anything that scared me. Um, My husband knew my cousin. My mom's dearest friend had a son with Down syndrome. It was something I had been around all of my life. It didn't scare me. I wasn't afraid. Um, I had a lot of questions because growing up around someone with Down syndrome was be was very different than being the parent of a child with Down syndrome, raising a child with Down syndrome. So I asked for information. I said, gosh, do you have anything that I could read? Anything that I could um, study? Uh, information that I could look up? Something. And they had nothing. I said, is there anyone I can, you know, do, any materials, any agencies? Uh, uh, later I found out everything is attached to money. So the hospital couldn't refer anyone to me. It wasn't until after we left the hospital and started exploring on our own that we could reach out and find someone because when you choose someone and you choose an agency to provide services and help you, it all, of course, is attached to money. So the hospital couldn't refer anyone because then, of course, there's they're um, playing favorites and, and they're, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a monetary connection there. And they had nothing to give me as far as papers, uh, materials to read, nothing, uh, except textbook um, definitions, something that a doctor would read, very, uh, something way above my intellectual level, I can tell you that. So there was nothing, there was nothing for me to read. It wasn't until two weeks later on Mother's Day that we were together as a family that my aunt had given me a copy of a book called A New Parent's Guide to Raising a Child with Down Syndrome. And I sat, and I think I might have read the entire book on that Mother's Day Sunday. And my aunt said, if I had known you were going to bury your face in a book all day long and ignore the rest of us, I wouldn't have given you the book until you left for the day. And I said, you don't understand. I have been craving this information. And I had nothing. I didn't even know such a book existed. So that was a a wonderful gift. And I believe that book has been um, updated um, several times uh, in the course of the 28 years, but remains a very valuable resource to new parents. So anyway, um, let's go back to the hospital. Uh, Well, I was there for several days um, because I had had a C-section. And... uh, (sighs) My, I call my call it my Down syndrome people. My aunt came with my cousin, um, who was ecstatic to have a cousin like him. He was thrilled. Um, and then my mom's friend came also because she wanted to see this little girl, who, of course, she formed a very special attachment to. Um, the cards came, the gifts came, the flowers came. Everybody was very excited. And um, the next day, my sister delivered a perfectly healthy, beautiful daughter. So um, there were a lot of um, mixed emotions. I'm sure my parents felt sorry because I had a daughter with special needs. My sister, who had two sons already, had her um, perfect little girl, um, and I didn't. So there were a lot of mixed emotions. It was I held no resentment. It was fine. I it was 
all good. I didn't resent her for having something that I didn't have. Nobody did. Um, it just was what it was. Of course, it, then the famous Welcome to Holland poem came down. Um, you know, you if you've uh, heard it before, it goes something like this. You plan a trip, and it's this wonderful trip to Italy. All your life you've dreamed about going to Italy. And you get on the plane, and you are getting ready for your trip. And then the pilot says, welcome to Holland. And Holland isn't what you planned, but Holland is beautiful in its own right. It has windmills and tulips. So we ended up with a little bit of Italy and a little bit of Holland in our twins. Ironically, uh, as we approach our 30th wedding anniversary now, um, all we dream, I dream about is a trip to Italy um, for our 30th wedding anniversary in September. It'll probably never happen because it's not something Kelsey can tolerate because she would have to go with us and find and care for her for us to leave to go to Italy. Um, it just wouldn't happen. So that trip to Italy probably still won't ever happen. Um, but that's okay. We, we, as a family, have taken vacations together to the Jersey Shore. We did it for 20 years until the kids were out of the house and grown. They left and went their way. We moved to Florida. And uh, so those were our vacations. The only time we ever left Kelsey behind uh, when we lived in New York, um, we left her behind at a respite home with Lexington. Um, in the, it was in 24 years, one time we left her behind. And we took the kids to Punta Cana with their significant others to celebrate uh, graduations from college. And uh, that was the one and only time we ever took a vacation without her. And we FaceTimed and sang to her and said hello while we were there. So anyway, um, back to the day she was born. Um, so the cards came, the welcome to Holland. Um, and, you know, God played a hand in all of it. From And, and we're, we're Catholic, raised Catholic. Still am Catholic. Uh, Kelsey has made her first communion, confirmation. She receives communion. We go to church every week. <clears throat> but, you know, people would say, God chose you for Kelsey's parents to be Kelsey's parents um, because he knew she'd be cared for. Um, and then people would say, why? We don't know why God chose for this to happen to you. So it went back and forth between why God did this to you and God chose you for a special reason. Um, and as you might imagine, um, there were a lot of, a lot of emotions, a lot of, um, crying, um, and happiness at the same time. I mean, we were overjoyed to be parents of twins for the most part, they were perfectly healthy, um, of a good weight and size. They arrived four days before their due date, which was actually my birthday. So they came home on my birthday. Um, haven't had a birthday quite the same since in 28 years. 
Um, so it was a it was a pretty wild time, um, and I will tell you, like I said, I I was okay with it all. I was okay with it all. I since then, however, um, and I will say this: um, the only thing that really upsets me is um, there are a couple of things. One, the lack of support for people with disabilities. Um, I always feel like you have to fight for everything. I fought for her education, not for her education, but to get what I wanted. It was as if there was no place for her anywhere and, and other kids like her. And what was worse was um, sometimes I felt like I was the only one fighting. There were other children whose parents just, you know, kind of plunked them in a classroom and that was that. Um and I always felt like it shouldn't be. Um, I remember one time in a classroom or in a meeting, in what they call her IEP meeting, Individual Education Plan meeting, um, that I said they wanted to put Kelsey in a program. Now, Kelsey is nonverbal. She's very low functioning. Um, she understands a lot of what you tell her, but she can't reciprocate by speaking because she just doesn't talk. So <clears throat> I remember in the one meeting, somebody said we're gonna, they were going to place her in a classroom where she was very young, maybe three, four, something like that, four or five even, I don't know. But she would have to take a very long bus ride. And the bus rides, of course, were even longer because they had to stop along the way. And they wanted to put her in a classroom where kids were all nonverbal, in wheelchairs, um, even more low-functioning than Kelsey. Now, Kelsey learns by observing. She learns by listening and watching others. And I said, what is she going to learn if she has no one to watch and observe except children sitting in wheelchairs doing nothing all day? Nothing against them, but that's not the right place for her. And they told me that perhaps I needed to lower my expectations. These were educators. I needed to lower my expectations. And I said, and I don't want her on the bus that long all day. That's a long ride for her. And they asked me which route I took to go to this particular school. Like I was some kind of an idiot that I didn't. We live in a small town. I mean, there's only so many ways you can get from here to there. And I, I was like, is this the way it's going to be? Is this the game we have to play? And the answer to that question was yes. So here we are, almost 28 years later, and um, we made some progress. It was a fight every day and continues to be a fight every day. Um, the program that she was in, um, the programs were, the education was okay. Some, be some days were better than others. Some programs were better than others. But it's been a fight every day. Um, so I will tell you this. <clears throat> my brother, who's 10 years younger than I am, and uh, his wife, their third son was born with Down syndrome. And I'm hoping to have a conversation with them at some point <clears throat> on a future podcast. But when their son was born and diagnosed, I cried. I cried probably more than when my own daughter was born. Not because they had a child with Down syndrome. 
But because I knew their path was going to be difficult and that they would have to fight too. And unfortunately, I wasn't wrong. Uh, they, he's young, he's only 16, <clears throat> and I wasn't wrong. And that was why I cried, because we have not come very far as a society. People love their son Giacomo, my nephew. Um, we love him too, but we just don't do a very good job when it comes to education, acceptance, and I, I'm doing this podcast because, again, we want empathy. We want you to understand. We want you to connect with us, and we want you to share this podcast with people who don't have a child with disabilities so that you can understand. We want them to be long. We want them to be a part of, and we want you to help us get there. Um, we know that it's not going to be easy because, of course, there's always money involved, um, but there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way of um, making them feel accepted, finding programming for them, finding homes for them to live in. I'm still not sure what's going to happen with Kelsey when we're gone. And, I, and I'm reliving the day she was born, and I still have that concern. Um, you know, my husband and I are in our early 60s now, and we worry what's going to happen when we're gone. The financial considerations we have to worry about. And I'll talk on future episodes about we had a file for guardianship of our own child. Um, and, I mean, the money attached to that, the, the paperwork that we've had to go through, um, thinking about trusts, things that most parents of the normal child don't ever have to think about or worry about because they're going to walk out the door someday and be able to fend for themselves. So uh, anyway, I'm going to end it there for now. And um, I would encourage you to reach out if you have questions. Um, if you know of somebody uh, or if there is somebody out there that would like to uh, be a guest, would like to share, I would love to talk to you. So I thank you um, for listening. And again, empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. That's my friend. My friend. I wish she was my friend. <laughs> That's Brene Brown. Um, give her a listen. Empathy. Empathy, the ability to emotionally understand what other people feel and see things from their point of view. Imagine yourself in their place. That's all we ask. So fuel that connection and stop driving that disconnection. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to It's Not Always Special, a podcast about everything relating to the special needs child. Don't forget to hit subscribe, but most importantly, share us with a friend, because when we know better, not only do we do better, but we are better. <laughs>